0: This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions.
1: Yeah, yeah. called me up, told me to take a look, but stay as bulls
0: to talk their own book. Get the
1: money. Get the money. Get, get the money.
0: Well, Gary Rollo, thanks very much for coming back on Talk Your Book. I thought it'd be a good place to start if you just walk through the Montgomery Small companies fund that you run and and just let us know how you've gone this year. Chris, thanks for having me back. Pleasure to be back.
1: Uh, Montgomery Small Companies Fund. Yeah, as the name suggests, we focus uh, on small companies. Uh, We invest in them all the way through the stages of the life cycle. Our view is that's where innovation and growth lives in Australia. And we want to capture that value between, you know, the journey on a small company going to being a bit bigger company. So that's what it's all about. 2020 has been quite kind for fund performance this year. Um, I think we're about 25, 26% up this year. And market's up to probably about 7 or 8 or something like that. I haven't checked exactly, but that's where we are. And we're feeling quite good about what the future brings. So, yeah, good year so far and looking forward to many more. And what company do you want to talk about today? Well, today, for Talk Your Book Today, I thought I'd talk about Alliance Aviation. Um, stock ticker AQZ. And the the reason for that, um, last time we were on, we talked about um, Macquarie Telecom and that Macquarie Telecom story was about capacity expansion and a big catalyst coming along to fill capacity. And then we see the earnings mushroom and then the stock, of course, stocks follow earnings, Chris. So that's the story I see ahead for Alliance Aviation, and um, if it's all right with you, I'll introduce some of the, the metrics about the company to give a sense of what it does, how it does it, and that kind of stuff too. That'd be great. Let's get into it. All right. So, uh, as I said, um, the idea behind AQZ, it's a high returning capacity expansion story. Um, AQZ today, stock price around 350 um, All things, all other things being equal, I don't see that there's that much downside to that stock price. Shares are trading on around five and a half times fiscal 21 EBITDA. So from our point of view, you know it's another aim small miss small type uh, dynamic, uh, and we like those kind of stocks right now. But the thing that's not small is the capacity expansion event that's
0: going on in Alliance's business. So maybe before we jump into that, to interrupt. Maybe just give us a helicopter view of Alliance Aviation the helicopter view of what the business is, and then we'll continue to dive a bit more into the, the numbers. Perfect.
1: So as the name suggests, Alliance Aviation is an aviation business. Now, that's a sector that's known for tearing up capital, not creating value, but there are some critical business model differences that shield AQZ from you know the economic events that wreak havoc through that sector from time to time. And in fact, as I go through the story, you'll realize that it's those times of stress in that aviation sector that brings the opportunity to to the table for for the team at Alliance. The team at Alliance, I should mention, they are one of the best management teams in small caps, and I'll, I'll hint through the story about why that's the case. So first of all, let's be really clear about what Alliance or AQZ, I'll use that ticker now, is not. AQZ is not an airline at least not in the sense that you're all thinking. AQZ operates aircraft on a long-term contract basis for corporates here in Australia. Mostly mining companies, moving their mostly production workforces on regular FIFO flights. Now, what that means is that AQZ doesn't take load factor risk. So that's the, you know, if you operate the flight, no one turns up type risk. It locks in flight economics, whether there's passengers on that flight or they're full, they're right with their client on a contract basis. So the profit to Alliance, no matter how many people turns up exactly the same. Second big difference is AQZ doesn't take fuel price risk. We know that fuel prices do this. And, you know, some of these airline stocks, effectively they're energy derivatives at certain points in the life cycle. Yeah. That's not Alliance. Those big mining companies, those customers, they pay for the fuel directly themselves because they're, You know, they're best positioned to take that risk. They're consuming lots of energy in their mining operations. Third big difference is Alliance owns all of its own fleet directly on its balance sheet, no leases out to all those big leasing companies. And what that means, Alliance has very low holding costs. They're not paying dollars away every month, whether an aircraft flies or not. So they've got that flexibility of deciding whether it does and you know, AQZ doesn't need to sustain a network or a market share position. So none of those you know, drivers just to be out there spending money flying unless you have to. Simply AQZ flies when it can make good money on its assets. And boy, does it make good money on its assets. You know, over the last nine years that AQZ has been listed and we've got the accounts for, it's made on average 35% EBITDA returns on its tangible operating assets. Those are not the returns of an airline. So let's let's uh, set the scene. Alliance is not an airline. Now, so what is the key secret sauce of Alliance? I, I, I mentioned to you earlier um, that AQZ's um, key difference is that it can take advantage of when the aviation sector is under stress, and the principal way that it takes that advantage is is that it knows that it can do great bargains for buying aircraft at that moment in time because they are quite, quite literally the Johnny on the spot operator that has the funding and the capital available to buy assets when these assets are going cheap. So they, they've they historically done that. The business actually started um, in the wake of September 2011. Uh, In that aviation downturn, the management team that are here today are the same guys who started the business with this concept. They went over to the U.S., they bought six, back then, Fokker aircraft for next to nothing, brought them over to Australia and put them to work. And the idea they had is that if we buy our assets really cheaply, we've got the lowest unit capital cost operating assets in the market. And that gives us a structural, sustainable, competitive advantage Yes, the cycle will do this, and the demand profile will do that. And what we do is we can park these assets if we have to, no holding costs, and come back into the market when, when you know the world's a better place. And as I said earlier, over those nine years, I don't think the returns have dropped below 30, maybe 27 28% return on assets, and they've been up as high as uh, in the 40s. So this is a business model that's been built by a smart management team around using the Achilles heel of the sector, its cyclicality to allow them to acquire assets at a low price and that gives them that um, competitive advantage. The second competitive advantage is its unit cost structure. Alliances is simply a very low cost operator. So they've got low capital cost assets, low uh, operating costs, you bring the two together and that gives them a great position in the market.
0: And talk to us about their, their balance sheet. They've done a reasonably recent capital raise to, to increase their fleet, which you've mentioned they've they've done several times before in the past. Talk to me about what their cash balance currently looks like and, and the increase to their fleet that they've recently committed to. Well, the MD there
1: is called Scott McMillan. Now, that's a Scottish name. I can tell you that he is a canny operator. And uh, we all know that at certain points in the cycle, You know, these assets are going to be very cheap. And so what Scott does is he scours the world looking for effectively aircraft assets and parts that are um, suitable for operating here in his business in Australia. And when the time is right, when the moment is right, he will get together the capital and go off and do those trades that I talked about. Obviously, when COVID struck, it was a big shock to the global aviation sector. And the next asset type that um, Scott's had his eye on are these assets called Embraer 190s. They're a mid-sized jet and they are a direct replacement for his uh, Fokker 100 fleet, which he's got He's got around 42 Fokker assets in his business today. And so he's made the move. He's gone and bought 14. Uh, he did raise a little bit of equity to fund that purchase. So he had his powder drive to go and turn up at these guys who want cash today for these assets to get good prices. He did that deal um, and he's got an option over another five and I'm pretty sure... Um, When you hear about where I think these assets are going to go and operate and how quickly they're going to go to work and what it does to the earning stream of the business when they do get working, that he will be going to get those other five and possibly uh, a few more after that. So, yes, um, the balance sheet position of uh, of Alliance today, after they've paid for all of those operating assets, I think they'll have about 40 million dollars of debt and the business. Is going to be generating um, north of a hundred million of EBITDA in the future, but right now I think last year it, it generated something like eighty million bucks of EBITDA. So, you know, already, you know, you're it's you know half time, half times EBITDA. It, the debt is is more than well and truly uh, covered by the operating cash flows of the business.
0: And one of those rare businesses at the minute where their growth profile potentially a percentage growth rate looks like it could potentially be bigger than their PE ratio. In your sort of numbers, do you think that's something they can achieve and it's something that's pretty rare out there in the the current valuation climate? Well, there's a
1: couple of things I like about the Alliance equity story. Uh, Valuation, certainly one of them. I think I referenced at the beginning of the discussion, I thought that there's no valuation risk really in this story. You know, you're paying five and change times EBITDA, On a run rate EBITDA that doesn't include these planes going to work, yet the market cap includes all the equity that was raised to fund the purchase of the plane. So um, that's that's the kind of scenario we like the look of. And the second thing is is when you you look at what can happen to earnings when that capacity that they've bought gets put to work, I'll, I'll do some simple sums for you. Over the listed life, again, using all the data that the company has put out over those nine years that it's been listed, and we can gain access to the information. The average EBITDA per operating aircraft in the fleet has been about 2 million bucks per annum. And if they're going to add that 14 that they've bought and that other five that they've got options over, and I'll tell you in a minute why I think all of those assets do go to work. You know, you can do the maths, that's like 19 more aircraft times two million, that's 38 million bucks. When the company did 80 last year. So that's a 50% uplift in EBITDA coming if those aircraft go to work. And, you know, the part of the story that's um, really simple and clear is you don't have to be, you know, a fantastic modeler or a magician to work this out. It's all there in black and white. Um, The nature of the business model is one of contracting rather than running the risks Mm. that I mentioned earlier that airlines typically run. So, um, yeah, there's no reason to suggest that the economics – for these new aircraft, then being a bit more modern than the, than the other ones will be any worse than the existing aircraft. So, you know, if anything, I'm more optimistic about the potential returns from the new assets rather than the old. So uh, look, I, I think uh, you're absolutely right. Capacity expansion, if it gets filled, you get 50% uplift in the EBITDA and the business. And that's that's really what we're here for. That's why we're talking about this stock.
0: Do you mention the contracted revenue there? Most of it we've fly and fly-out workers for, for mining companies. Do you think for investors to get comfortable with a, a business like Alliance, they need to have a top-down view of the mining industry and what's going to happen there in the next two to three years? Look, um, absolutely.
1: I think it's fair. With, with all of the stocks that we get invested in, we have to look at what externalities we'll be taking on. And there's no doubt that you know when you're getting into... Um, investments that are exposed to the mining sector, you are taking on some externalities. There's two or three things to consider here. First of all, is are, are, is Alliance doing business in areas of, of that mining complex that are at risk? You, you know, mining's a, a, a more cyclical business than most, so you need to understand that. But AQZ's primarily shifting production workforces and some of the um, assets that they're working for are some of the best um, assets on the planet in their uh, commodity class. For instance, BHP's their biggest customer. Um, that's, uh, you know, as we all know, uh, the lowest cost iron ore producer uh, or thereabouts on the planet. And they've got planes going off to several goldfield players. They've got um, some base metals players. It's pretty diversified across the book. But the reality is, is that you are taking on some of these risks. And some of the um, strength in the business model um, that I highlighted earlier, you know, the the idea that they've got a contract book, you know, you can throw contracts out the window when the, when times get tough in, in the mining sector and times have been tough in the mining sector in the past but look at the quality of the balance sheet position, the quality of the assets, the flexibility they've got to move assets and, and park them. You're, you're not going to be faced with having to write a check um, for this business because it's got itself into trouble because some of its mining clients um, have decided they don't want to produce the ores. It's uh, you know, You'd have to get yourself into some sort of extreme um, commodity down cycle before that type of scenario endured.
0: And they dropped their eight, uh, dividend recently to uh, to put that capital to work buying the uh, increasing the fleet size. When yeah. do you forecast that will be back?
1: Well, in the um, the Montgomery model, we think that it comes back at the next dividend payment uh, event because, you know, to put the the recent history into some context, when COVID arrived, just like all businesses, Alliance had to look at its operations and say, "Wow, what does this mean for our mining production clients?" And so they had to prepare for the worst, and at the same time, their opportunity hat was on, going, "Oh wow, yippee! Wouldn't this just be a fantastic time to buy assets?" So they had both of those pieces of logic, you know, being discussed around the board table. Um, so what they did is they said, "Look, let's let's err on the side of caution um, on the dividend. so we'll we'll park the dividend for now. Let's raise the money to buy the planes, and then it turned out they could get a hold of the assets and the operating business." didn't actually have the the shock that they thought, because as we know, with the benefit of hindsight, mining operations in WA continued almost without a blink. Mm. And so, and so it did so on the, um, on the East coast here too. And they've got uh, clients all over Australia. So the actual operating business didn't see a decline in activity. It saw a rapid acceleration in activity as some of the alternative forms of traffic, uh, transport fell away. So they actually had, their best ever half operating in the um, second half of of, uh, fiscal 20, which would be that half when COVID first struck. And those conditions have obviously continued into the half that we're in today. And um, that's despite their biggest client being Virgin going into administration. And I think it's probably worth going to the Virgin part of the story because that's where the upside um, comes from when Virgin reopens, that's where all of those aircraft that Alliance has bought, uh, I think are going to go to work. And we've done some, we've done some work there that gives us some confidence that, you know, they're going to soak up that capacity um, quite quickly, we think.
0: And so maybe talk us through that in a little bit more more depth. There was a recent announcement by the ACCC in the last week or so, just walking through, allowing Virgin and Alliance to work together maybe just give us a little bit more depth on, on what that announcement means and, and what Virgin coming back online could mean for Alliance. Yep, so the
1: scene around Virgin I think gets set from reflecting the fact that Alliance operated probably about um, seven or eight routes in the Virgin regional network for uh, Virgin. So you'd book your ticket on Virgin and you'd turn up and at the gate would be an Alliance jet And Virgin would pay a fee to Alliance, not based on the number of passengers that showed up, but a a fee on a normal contract nature. So about 25% of the hours flown by Alliance aircraft were basically flown for Virgin. So something like 10000 hours a year, it was a meaningful part of um, Alliance's business. And uh, that gives you a sense of the strength of the other part of the business that's come along to take up that slack. But... um, so Virgin has this problem that it's never going to be able to charge the ticket fees that Qantas can charge at the, at the high end. And it's also got a cost structure issue at the low end. So it's getting squeezed in the middle. And what Alliance does that Virgin can't do is that it can operate on a very low cost basis, providing a high quality asset on a you know, pretty consistent, high availability basis. And that's exactly what Virgin needs in its regional network. Now, Virgin used to operate that regional network with a fleet of ATRs. And um, there were six ATRs that were operating on the east coast of, um, of Australia. And they flew last year around 17 to 18,000 hours. So if you add up the 10,000 that Alliance were flying for them
0: and the 17,000,
1: that they were doing themselves, that's a regional network here in the East Coast of Australia that was running around 27,000 hours. If you do the maths, that's roughly gonna be where those 14 aircraft that Alliance have bought are gonna get put to work. And Virgin 2.0 or 2.0 whatever we're talking about, they need that regional network to collect um, a whole heap of customers that would be flying intracap city or internationally and if they're not present, then those customers are going to get carried on an alternative carrier and cause real market share problems uh, and scale problems for the core Virgin business. So that's the angle that we can see that you know Virgin was already quite dependent on Alliance way back um, pre the the COVID event. So much so, you know, when a block of Alliance shares. Became available about two years ago, Qantas took a 20% stake mm. in Alliance. You know it, that's unusual, right? Um, so our view is is that there's a huge opportunity for Alliance to support the new Virgin out in the market. There's a real need. Alliance delivers something that Alliance that, that Virgin needs in its regional network, and that when that happens, you'll see that. capacity uplift event that Alliance has already funded get filled and get filled pretty quickly. And with it becomes, you know, a big chunk in earnings and it makes that five and a half times EBITDA, you know, drop dramatically. And the business um, sits on a fantastic valuation. And from uh, coming back to your early question about dividends, Chris, um, that that capital's already been spent on those aircraft um I, i've no doubt that they've got more plans to grow alliance but historically they've paid a good dividend and we'd expect them to do so again and i think this stock's probably yielding you know in the future something like seven eight percent dividend yield at, the, at current prices so that's how i see it you, you will get paid a decent dividend fully franked as well
0: well, it's a uh, it's a brilliant story you've sold. You're in very good form today, Gary. So, uh, mate, really appreciate you coming back on and, and walking through the alliance story. And uh, loved catching up again. Fantastic, thoroughly enjoyed it. And hopefully this one will work a bit like MEQ works, and we'll have another uh, another winner on our hands. Thanks, mate. Speak soon. Have a good one. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.